Welcome to the Meet Maastricht podcast. I'm Katrina and together with our resident local Lucy, we will be exploring some of the amazing stories that make Maastricht so special. So sit back, relax and join us as we learn about our favourite Dutch city. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 30 of the Meet Maastricht podcast. We're into our 30s now. Uh, What are we talking about today, Lucy? Well, the one of the main, main, main buildings in the city and one of the places that the city probably owes its existence to, uh, to some extent. And we've been skirting around there long enough now, I think, even <laughs> though it has come up in many, many other podcasts as well, in, in references and illustrations and whatnot. The Saint-Sauvas. Mm. Yeah. And if there's anyone it, who doesn't know where that is, <laughs> where yeah. is the sense of us church? <laughs> well, I I I do suppose that most of you who live here, even if you have not been here for a very long time, have come across the large square in the middle of the city and uh, which has two big churches there side by side and uh, the biggest one with the uh, the two sets of uh, identical towers, that is the Sauvas. Not the one with the red tower, the one next to it. No. <laughs> yes, yes, but it feels a bit weird to identify Sauvas by the Saint John's, which <laughs> which is which is much younger and uh, yeah, that to to uh, uh, medieval Maastricht that would have been a secondary church, not the not the main one. Mm. So. So I know we are doing two episodes on Saint Sauvas. Yeah. What is this one going to be about? Yeah, we we thought that if you if you were going to discuss a building that that goes back seventeen hundred years, <laughs> it is a bit presumptuous to to uh, uh, think you can deal with that in in uh, half an hour to forty five minutes, which is <laughs> generally the duration of our pods. So um, we decided to split it up. And this first one uh, (coughs) will be uh, centering on the people and the second one will center on the stones. So today we will be talking mainly about uh, uh, the uses of the of the church by the people, the way the way it was administered, the way it was looked at, the way it functioned in the Mm. life of the city. And then in the second one, we will we will look at the building history, which is which is a fascinating saga all by itself. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So for our first one, uh, I guess where do we start? Because the building has to be built. <laughs> yeah, I would I would sh- suggest with Sensovas himself. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, that makes that, sense. That seems. Yeah, that <laughs> exactly. That seems that seems the most the most obvious place to start, really. He was, uh, uh, of course, not a, a, a saint right from the beginning. Mm. He was. Uh, he came from uh, a region in the then still Roman Empire we know today as Armenia. Okay. So one of the one of the countries bordering Turkey, uh, far far away. But then again, the Roman Empire, of course, was was a far flung, uh, uh, large entity, and mm-hmm. for 
quite a long time, a safe space, relatively safe space, where, where people and goods and ideas could freely circulate. Mm. So uh, in that sense, it is not really uh, um, out of the ordinary to find an Armenian in the Maas Valley. And this, of course, combined with early Christiani Christianity's uh, missionary zeal, of course, uh, Jesus mm. had sent his apostles out to bring the gospel to the world. Or maybe that was more St. Paul's doing. But uh, <laughs> anyway, there were uh, in in the first centuries of... Uh, how, you have a name for that in English that I keep forgetting. The Common Era, is it? Yeah. So, it, it. I mean, in this instance, we are talking about pretty much the relationship, I guess, to... Christ. It it was um, BC for before Christ and AD for Anno Domini, which is I mean, after Christ. After Christ. Yeah. Uh, but now it is uh, because that was a little bit uh, focused on Christianity, and not every culture is Christian. Yeah. It is Common Era and before Common Era. Uh, so BCE and CE. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I'll try and get used to that. Uh, so anyway, the, the common era, the, the 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 first few centuries of the of the of the first millennium. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm still I'm still inclined to say after Christ, but yeah, here you go. <laughs> the point is, scientifically speaking, that we are not exactly sure about some of these facts. Mm. It is it is uh, it is a tradition. Okay. told from generation to generation that he came here as a missionary. But there are traces of a Servas, an important uh, teacher, missionary, uh, bishop in the very early church, uh, because he, he uh, uh, appears in uh, reports of uh, large church gatherings in the 4th century. Okay. And these, these church gatherings were called by the Pope to uh, decide on matters of doctrine. And uh, Asavas became famous uh, because he de defended the, uh, the doctrine of uh, Jesus uh, not being only man, but also God. Anyway, we will we will not get into all that. Uh, but 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 this is where we this is where we actually do find him, and uh, he has also been part of uh, papal uh, diplomatic missions to to mediate uh, conflicts between uh, uh, lay rulers. So you know, it was it was not it was not a village priest. No. It was a man of learning and standing who who travelled the Roman Empire, and well, supposedly he uh, eventually was uh, appointed to be the uh, bishop of uh, Tongeren, mm -hmm. which was which was a, uh, an open, uh, comfortable, important uh, Roman city at the time. Uh, important in the sense that uh, uh, everything related to ad, uh, administration and military command and stuff like that was was concentrated there. So it was a a, a real city, which which Maastricht was not at the time, mind okay. you. It was Maastricht was basically a military camp, guarding the bridge on the river. So that's uh, that is that is far less important. So anyway, uh, Savas was a bishop in Tongeren. 
and uh, during these times already the pressure on the on the borders of the Roman Empire was increasing internal unrest was uh, rising uh, the empire was creaking in all it seems Mm. Uh, there were raids and invasions and unrest and uprisings and all sorts of stuff and Safaz decided he would be safer in Maastricht. Uh, we are not clear he fled there f uh, for just a little while or he actually transferred the bishop's seat from Tongeren to Maastricht but we are sure that his uh, successors were bishops of Maastricht. Anyway, uh, while here in Maastricht, he died and he was buried, as was the custom at the time, uh, on the side of the Roman road. So outside the Castellum, outside the Roman camp, uh, which of course for sanitary reasons is the sensible thing to do. So I, like had the Romans had many very sensible habits and this was just one of them. <laughs> so his gravesite was outside the Den Castellum. And if you, if you are standing on the Vreethof now with your back to the church, and uh, you face the river, uh, there is still quite a bit to go before you would have reached the, the walls and the moat of the Castellum. Hmm. Because the church that you see today uh, stands on the site of the grave of Sauvaz. Okay. Okay, and we, we, we are starting to build, so to speak, in, in the in the fourth century. May, maybe just a wooden construction or something like that, replaced by a stone one pretty soon after that, replaced by a bigger stone one after that, and so on and so forth. And mm. we'll talk about that when we discuss the building. But anyway, this is this is how it started. Uh, and why did it become so big? Because right from the beginning, Salvas was considered a saint that mm. you could visit and plead to for, you know, uh, the requests that people would have of saints and still have. Mm. Devout Catholics who um, have a habit of, of praying to the saints will still have specific requests for specific saints. And so how did he become a saint? Well, yeah... <laughs> especially in those early years of the church that is that is always yeah very very intricately knitted together layers of uh, fact and fiction and wishful mm. thinking the believers will will uh, look up to people who have led exemplary lives and try to you know emulate their example and of course rulers will think that it is a, that it is advantageous to have place where where people will will throng to to mm. uh, visit and worship and uh, and over the years and centuries uh, all sorts of uh, benefits and stories and rights and uh, things will pile up so apart from apart from the stone witnesses of uh, all these visitors and all these pleas there 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 is this entire construction in custom and belief and law that does the same thing mm. so so rulers will confer rights and the church will confer advantages as in if you have visited the gra the grave of Servas the time you have to spend in purgatory after your death will be shortened by this much. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So there were there were definite uh, definite gains to be had mm. 
from making these pilgrimages and uh, you know the more important the saint was the 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 bigger the benefits yeah and was he a saint of something specific you know how um, do you have like a patron saint of things <laughs> I, d I don't think he would be he would be a patron saint of something specific, but he is seen as um, one of the prime mediators between uh, uh, the faithful mm. and heaven, and oh, okay. um, that is that is why he carries the key. Uh, that one of the ways you recognize him is a is a is a a person in the garb of a bishop, you know, with the mantle and the mitre and yes. The, and the, the staff, uh, but he also carries a key, and that is particular to Saint Sylvas. The key was given to him by Saint Peter, mm. and it is the key to heaven. So Saint Sylvas has Saint Peter's ear. So mm. if you if you pray to Sylvas to help you get into heaven, he will he will plead your case with Peter. So it's a good one to uh, have on your side. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And also, he is generally depicted with a with a some sort of monster at his feet, and oh. uh, him him using his staff as a spear to kill the monster, and that that symbolizes the uh, this heresy that he uh, fought so hard in these uh, church gatherings. Would people come to Maastricht to specifically pray to speak to uh, Saint Sebast then? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, and they've they've been doing that almost from the beginning because mm. we have we have early medieval sources in which this is in which this is uh, uh, quite obvious, and also uh, medieval writers like Gregorius van Tours and mm. Henrik van Veldeke, who has his statue on the little uh, square next to the church where he sits with his lyre, uh, gazing at the church. They have done their very best to take the very sparse historical facts that we have and compose, mm. in the case of Gregorius, a beautiful history, and in the case of uh, uh, Hendrik van Veldeke, a, a beautiful sung poem on the life and deeds and miracles performed by Saint Sylvain. And of course, by, by, that, that's a that sort of advertising. I don't mean this disrespectfully, but this is also a, a, a way by which uh, the fact the name and the fame of Savas would have been spread over over uh, most of Europe. Mm, okay, so yeah. sort of traditional storytelling and singing. Yeah, and, yeah. Okay. Or all the all the forms of the news, you know. It's <laughs> just, uh, and then, of course, what what is also necessary in this type of publicity, also not intended to sound disrespectfully, is that in in the, the a recognition by by the government and of course in in uh, for centuries government in Europe would also have been very tightly wrapped up with religion as well mm -hmm. so uh, Christianity could use the rulers and later on the state to to spread and to reinforce its grasp on the people but it it worked the same way the other way around I mean, in the in the messy, messy, dangerous centuries uh, after the after the breakup of the of the Roman Empire, of course, the, uh, both the rulers and the priests uh, have have needed each other. Yeah. So you can you can see them developing in conjunction 
for a long time. Mm. And that, uh, and and of course, the 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 local regional rulers supporting the church, accepting the church, uh, helping to spread the uh, the teachings of the church. That has been that has been very important for the Savas because it it has had it it owes its very uh, independent position to that one of the originally regional rulers was Charlemagne in the 8th century and he came to rule most of then Europe mm. and to be a church directly so not the church as an entity but the church as a building and a community being connected to the emperor meant yeah. that the local rulers had precious little to say about what you were doing and until the French Revolution when when of course all of these things were stopped and demolished and broken off and abolished. Mm. Savas has been in this in this very privileged, very yeah. free, independent position. You know, only owing allegiance to the Pope, of course, far, far away. And allegiance to the Emperor, also far, far away. <laughs> yeah. Do we know how uh, Tongara felt about... <laughs> Their their bishop becoming the the pilgrimage in Maastricht and becoming such a huge, important and long lasting. I mean, people still, if you look up, you know, top ten things to see in Maastricht, it's probably going to be number one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> up yeah. to today. So, um, yeah. do we know? Has there been any conflict around that? But not not that I know of. Okay. But... <laughs> Maybe some murmurings early on. <laughs> <laughs> Once recorded. we can move around again, I'll I'll go exploring over there. And now I don't, I don't. Well, you know, like like I said, it was the the fourth, fifth, sixth century where where anarchy and upheaval and mm. uh, Roman Tongara was pretty much raised to the ground. Yeah. So uh, and 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 Maastricht uh, uh, survived. Those those very uh, unruly uh, decades and centuries, uh, not exactly unscathed, but it, it remained in existence. Yeah. Be, be, because of, because it was a fort basically, um, mm. and then and then because there was a because there was a bishop, uh, there was some sort of administration at all times. You know, mm. even even when the state was falling apart, and the and the and the and the, the tribes of the or the peoples who were indigenous and the invading peoples were still smashing each other's heads in. At least the the you know the church could maintain some sort of order for a while. Yeah. And it's been you know it's been it's been very very dangerous for quite some time. And as well as that sort of political role, did it. I know we've spoken about different orders and churches and mm. convents and monasteries having a very sort of social and community role in community services, basically. Mm. Did since yeah. of us and the people who sort of congregated around that church and that place serve that kind of function as well? Well, we know precious little about any of it for quite some time. Yeah. So there was this there was this originally Roman settlement that remained inhabited during these these darker years, and what is now uh, and on the site of what is now our, our Sweet Lady Church mm. that is that is within the original Roman camp. Uh, that is where the bishop's church stood. Okay. There must have been some sort of administration by whoever was in charge at the time. Mm. 
uh, and there must have been uh, uh, some some uh, you know habitation for the for the people, as in uh, you know wooden and uh, thatched structures mostly. Yeah. And of course, there would still have been agriculture and and uh, uh, production and trading going on, but on a very 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 small scale. So uh, because the you know the the, the the pretty much worldwide empire had had uh, had dissolved. Yeah. So people people would uh, would be very pleased if they could be self-sufficient, and that was basically it for quite some time. And it is it is only when you get to about the tenth, eleventh, twelfth century that you can that you can see you know authorities becoming more settled and mm. uh, cities starting to develop production also being exported so trade being slowly revived and all that yeah but it's uh, yeah we have we we have very few sources and we don't have a lot of knowledge about the uh, the centuries in between Although the the archaeological finds in Maastricht are uh, slowly filling up the gaps, you know the 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 Vreethof has been um, has been uh, dug out to make that uh, that horrible uh, parking thing, and the archaeologists didn't get a lot of time, but they did get enough time to uh, to do some research there, and they have found they have found graves from the from the fifth and the sixth and the oh, seventh wow. century. So the Merovingian, the period of the Merovingian kings, that's the dynasty preceding the Carolingian of the eighth, ninth, and tenth centuries, okay. the descendants of Charlemagne. Uh, so there is there is early medieval stuff. Once in a while, the river yields something to mm. the uh, to the uh, archaeologically inclined divers. <laughs> and during the big restoration campaign of Sylvester's uh, Basilica in the 1980s, they dug out the entire floor, mm. and and uh, all, all of that was uh, was of course meticulously researched and documented, and uh, is still now there. There are publications coming out about that now. So that 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 is that is also a factor in all of this. That there there is probably loads of knowledge in <laughs> notes and drawings and pictures and measurements but it is still in archives or yeah. uh, libraries because it needs to be put into uh, publications uh, okay well that I mean that just makes it exciting isn't it it's an ongoing yeah it's we're learning more about it all the time yeah <laughs> exactly exactly it just goes on and on and on anyway anyway if you go into just the, the last this last thing on the on the on the early the early history. Uh, if you go into Savas's church, yes. you'll have to pay. You'll have to pay admittance, but it is it is very much worth it because in the in the treasure room you can mm. go down the stairs into part of the archaeological excavations. So uh -huh. there you can there you can see wall fragments of these uh, earlier structures. Okay. Yeah. So, it, so. so the, there has been something in that same spot for yeah, for a yeah. long time. Yeah, there has been a long, long, long series of buildings in that same spot. We'll, but we'll talk about that in the in the other podcast. Yeah, and there's also the um, is it the remains of Sinsavas or supposedly? The remains of Sinsavas? Yes, of course. Of course, when when Pilgrim's Church has to offer to the pilgrims the the main attraction. So to speak, and that is the and that is the remains of the saint. You are making the pilgrimage too. Yeah. And uh, uh, after that, things always get fuzzy and confusing, and uh, Savas <laughs> is no exception to that. 
the the supposed spot of his burial is in the oldest crypt. So if you go into the church itself, the altar has been erected above the spot where Savas was buried. So you can go down the stairs into the crypt and you can look through uh, a small uh, set of bars, a barred yes. door and window, and uh, uh, there's a second room that you can look into and that's where Savas was supposedly buried. What usually would happen with the remains of saints is that they would be uh, taken out of their graves and then rehoused in you know the most beautiful shrines that people could think of and make yeah and these and these shrines would be put on display within the church for all to see high up on the altar or some very conspicuous place so that is where the where the supposed remains of supposedly Sylvas are you know of course uh, contemporary science has something to say about all this as you can imagine <laughs> Uh, but the sh the shrine is a wonder, an absolute, absolutely blindingly beautiful piece of medieval craftsmanship. Mm. And for uh, decades, it has been housed in the treasure room of the church. But now, because of uh, because of the pandemic, it has been taken out of there and put in the middle of the church again, which oh, is wow. this. Yeah, which is this medieval tradition of supplication to the saints to please help us. And this particular beautiful, beautiful uh, house in gold and gemstones yeah. has, has been called in, in, the, in the history of Maastricht always the, the emergency house, or the note guest. Emergency mm -hmm. as, in, as in crisis. Yes. And so it would, you know, it being the most important relic that the city has, it it would be the first thing, the most important thing that people would turn to, to ask for help. Mm. So so in earlier centuries, when when there was, uh, you know, an enemy army approaching, or there was an epidemic raging in the city, mm. or there was any kind of an emergency, any kind of, a, you know, the, the, this is how the supplications and the prayers of the people would be concentrated. The notkist would be carried in procession around the city, and of course we can't do that now because of COVID. So the <laughs> the, the church administration has decided they will put it in the middle of the church. So. Yeah. Of of course of course this this type of of object with this type of significance uh, was prevalent in in all of Christianity at the time. Mm, yeah. So um, uh, if you go to Ake, you find <laughs> you find uh, from from the the uh, practically the same period you find a comparable shrine and it's uh, so that that is something to keep in mind i mean all these all these large uh, pilgrims places were mm. of course in competition with each other too for the pilgrims <laughs> yeah and it uh, you know of course people people had a people had a spiritual goal in 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 leaving their house and 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 their village and Going on journeys that were extremely dangerous compared to what what uh, our type of travel is nowadays. Yeah. But of course, the the reverse side of that coin is, of course, the economic significance of these uh, s smelly hordes roaming <laughs> roaming the roads, yeah. and and all all the pilgrimage destinations were uh, were eager to receive them. 
so so in this in this area the uh, the the mass valley more or less they had to they had to decide on a on a roster to not steal each other's pilgrims all the time um, and <laughs> <laughs> so practical for something, yes, for something that's so sort of meant to be almost so spiritual and and very I don't know I don't know why I don't associate that with like a schedule <laughs> yeah no you don't but it's you know it, it I am saying these things also to make clear that 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 before the enlightenment and 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 before this this yeah in many in, in many ways very advantageous and in many ways also very bad i think split between the material and the spiritual um, before that of course the mentality of the people was 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 much more of a unitary kind so they would have thought that this was perfectly okay yeah. This the, the, everything, everything being mixed up into into uh, uh, you know one way of looking at the world without these exclusionary oppositions of uh, of uh, you know emotion and uh, ratio and uh, science and religion. You know, no, no, those partitions simply were not there. And for for us, that is almost impossible to to yeah. sense what that is like but it's but we can see glimpses of it in this sort of thing you know Tongere was an important place of pilgrimage Maastricht was an important place of pilgrimage so was Aker so were several others and so they were all sort of attracting pilgrims with uh, you know bigger and bigger gains to be had from going on pilgrimage there so at some at some point they they looked at each other and said yeah come on this is stupid let's just <laughs> So what they what they agreed on doing was to have a roster of seven years. Oh, okay. Not months, it was years. Yes. Yeah. So so there would be the pilgrimage to the shrine of Savas in year X and then the next year you would go to Tongere and the next mm. year would go you would go to Ake and to the other until uh, seven years later it was again time to make the pilgrimage oh. to Savas. So I would have thought you would sort of do a little round trip in uh, in just one go. It'd be because no. they're quite they're quite close together. <laughs> just see them sort of on the way, like <laughs> to come back every year. Yeah, no, but people were doing this constantly. Yeah, people were doing this constantly, and I suppose this shrine hopping would have been. Oh God, yeah, <laughs> this shrine hopping would have gone on. For people who were who were, who were in it for the long haul, we we have reports of of pilgrims who were on their way to Jerusalem, mm. which okay. of course is the ma is the main place to go. Yes, you know that is that is the absolute summit. That's a, of, a of bit the, further away if you're in very, depending where you are. <laughs> yeah, they'd be they'd be gone for years, you know. So uh, and 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 it would always be doubtful if they'd come back. Yeah. yeah, Jerusalem, of course, was the penultimate in pilgrimages. But yeah, uh, and and those people would would go from from shrine to shrine, basically. So because they were traveling anyway, so you yeah. know, wouldn't matter. <laughs> Let's go visit Salat. Well, see that that Get seems them. practical. For us, we can we can still see this in a, a huge celebration we call the Heiligdomsvaart. Heiligdom or, uh, is a sanctuary, mm. and Vaart is is a way you could describe uh, a pilgrimage. So a pilgrimage to the to the sanctuaries that is still celebrated once every seven years. 
we did that again, I think, two years ago. So in five years, there'll be another Heerlichtomsvaart. Yeah. And in the intervening years, you can go to the neighboring cities and see what they make of it there. Because, of course, they are, they are fantastic festivals of, of faith and of community and of, yeah. well, centering the spiritual. And it's, it's, uh, it's impressive. It really is. Mm. And, of course, the contemporary organization, quite wisely, uh, of course, does not, does not necessarily center on faith. They, they, they make sure that these are uh, pageants and celebrations and concerts and expositions and, you know, a, a very wide-ranging cultural program that will appeal to a wide range of people, too. Hmm. After, how did the French Revolution affect saint Sebastien? Oh, terribly, of course. This is this is a big jump, Katrina, from the from the <laughs> from the early Middle Ages to the to the French Revolution. I'd like to say a few things about <laughs> the, the intervening five hundred years, if you don't mind. Five hundred years is nothing. Ah, yeah, <laughs> just we'll just shrug that off. Uh, no, because because I'd like to say a few words about the lords of the church. Because ah, okay. uh, yeah, yeah, I said I said before that uh, Savas has been the church of Saint Savas has been in this very advantageous position. Yes. In, in the hierarchy of, of uh, uh, administrations uh, as being uh, uh, belonging really only to the emperor who was far, far away, but who would also, you know, bestow rights and privileges and possessions on the church. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, this is something to realize uh, as well, that until the French Revolution, the church was also a temporal power. You know, as I said before, uh, it was only after the Enlightenment that we started to split everything up. So before then, the church would have possessions and lands and armies, and the church would be a ruler. Yes. But you see that very clearly, for instance, in the in the prince bishops. You know, see the double title: the prince bishops of Liège. Mm. Look, just to the south of us, and one of one of the lords of Maastricht except not over the St. Savas Church and its possessions. You know, the, 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 the Savas Church could go its own sweet way and not really mind both lords of the city, neither the Prince Bishop or the Dukes of Brabant and their successors, until, of course, the French Revolution, when all of that was abolished. Mm. And if you, have, if you have temporal power, if you have a state, well, even if you don't look at the church, you need uh, an administration, you need a hierarchy. You yeah. need people to do the jobs that need to be done uh, when it comes to administering the land and collecting the taxes and uh, taking care of the people to some extent. And um, this, this was an important function of uh, the lords of this particular church. Okay. It, had, it had a college of canons. And uh, they were, they were when gathered together, they were, that is a chapter. So the Savas was a chapter church. And this is this is important to realize as well. It was not a parish church. The 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 parish did exist and for a while was tolerated in the building of the Savas, but already in the Middle Ages St. John's was built to uh, provide for the people. The Savas as a building was really only designed for and used by the pilgrims. 
Okay. And that was not always uh, uh, very pleasant for the uh, for the canons. They would yeah. be up high on the altar, participating in the services they were required to do, the chanting and the praying. And there are stories of the canons fainting because of the stench coming from the pilgrims. Ooh. Yeah. There's not many uh, sort of. There's lots of windows, but I don't know if you can crack one open. I don't. <laughs> a bit stuffy. <laughs> I think that is so cute. <laughs> you know, and those cannons would would be uh, they they'd be they'd be pretty independent. Uh, you know, from from any authority anyway, they wouldn't be exactly overburdened with with the amount of work that church required of them. So, they would usually be the younger sons of 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 noble families, and um, you know, living comfortable lives to a large yeah. extent. It seems so. The 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 very uh, nice little palaces that you see <laughs> behind St. John's and St. Sylvester's were the canons' homes. Okay. Some of those are like miniature courts. Yeah. So, and they had to, uh, they had to administer, well, th their prime responsibility was to, to look after the pilgrims and tend to them. And of course there have been, there have been generations of good men who would actually do that. You yeah. know, who would see to it that there was a hospital where the pilgrims were tended to and that people were fed and people were helped. Mm. Of course, all of that was going on as well. You know, it's that's that's always the case. And did the pilgrims stay in the church, or did they? Where did where did they sleep? Mm. I suppose that sort of thing would have changed over time as well. Yeah. So there, yes, there have been uh, the, the 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 old name for. A hospital in Dutch is a gasthuis, a guest house, mm. and that, so I suppose that there must have been a thin line between uh, being ill or simply staying the night. And and what they have what they have all, always done too is is provide some sort of of basic education to uh, mostly the boys of of the city. There was there was also some of that going on. Yeah. Until later on the. Uh, the orders like the Dominicans and the Jesuits would take over. Right. So, um, yeah, all sorts of, of uh, uh, social and economic stuff going on as well from this uh, increasingly large building and um, the, the, the surrounding villages that came under its authority. And of course, uh, once once the the Savas chapter became more and more established and powerful, it would get uh, into uh, conflict with uh, the chapter at Our Sweet Ladies because that also was a mm. canon's church with a oh. parish church next to it. So, did that have pilgrims coming as well? Yeah. Oh yeah. gosh. I hope they didn't split those ones between years. It's um, a, a ten-minute walk away. Yes, exactly. That's I don't know, but it's you know that I've got it is it is of course undeniable that there was competition going on, yeah. and 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 some of it quite childish, and 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 some of it just you know they they they'd find they'd find diplomatic solutions to to stupid <laughs> conflicts and just you know, just deal with it. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. People are people. You know that doesn't that doesn't change over the centuries. Not not at all. <laughs> and then okay, the French Revolution. Yes, of course. That's just yeah. I mean, uh, the the the, the, the 
everything was everything was ended. Yeah. Everything was plundered. Everything of value was carted off to par Paris mm. for as for as far as the as the local people and and uh, the church people didn't manage to hide it. So a lot of the things that were in the treasure that are in the the treasure room now were they mm. hidden or yeah. okay? Yeah, but it is a it is a full it is a small fraction of what was there. Oh. The church was the church was robbed of of the vast majority of its treasure. Uh, mm. And and the French Revolutionary armies just wanted the gold and the silver, and they destroyed these century-old yeah. treasures. Mm. So if you go to the treasure room now, I mean, you 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 sort of uh, it is it is overwhelming uh, what what is there in 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 riches and in beauty, and then you have to imagine that ninety percent is gone. Yeah. So what that must have looked like to you know, people 500, you know, they, they, it wouldn't all have been there 500 years ago, but still. And then, of, and then of course, uh, conquering armies, you know, the, the, the times that the city was uh, sacked. And yeah. uh, that wasn't just uh, raping the women and murdering people. It, it would also be uh, ransacking the churches and, and dragging off whatever they found. So the, the, the bust of St. Sylvester that is now in the treasure room is a replacement uh, donated to the church by a very uh, shame-faced uh, uh, Spanish Catholic Catholic mm. commander who was deeply embarrassed by the plunder that his soldiers got up to. Uh, and they carted off the original. Right. Well, that was nice of him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We didn't yeah. like him anyway. So. And then you know, after the after the French Revolution, sort of, yeah, the, or the French administration, I should say, relented mm. somewhat. Um, religious life, church life, had to start pretty much from scratch. I mean, yeah. uh, lots of stuff had been sold. Uh, all the all the churches had been used for for other purposes mm. uh, to store cannon, or uh, they served as stable, uh, or you know, wh whatever you know. I d and it, it it also seems they sort of aimed at uses that were that would that would emphasize the sacrilege as well mm. just put the cattle in there and of course you don't change people's minds and hearts in this way so so when the when the when 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 the french administration started relenting just a little bit already early in the 19th century there were uh, small signs of revival of uh, church life mm. and eventually the 19th century saw a new blossoming a rebirth of of church life, parish yeah. life, Catholic, Catholic traditions, as in as in the processions and all that, um, yeah. and th and that is also reflected in the buildings. But we'll talk about that in the in the next one. So, what what was the sense of us church used for during the French administration? I'm not sure. But it's sort of a big, almost impractical space for yeah. for other uses other yeah. than. I mean, you could probably yeah. fit a lot of people in there if you want a, a town hall or something. But. Yeah, they were they weren't no, but I mean, you know, but you know by now how many large churches Maastricht has, old yeah. Maastricht has. I mean, come on, there's an end to that. Yeah. It says it says here in in the, of course the usual wonderful little booklet <laughs> in the series Maastricht's silhouette. The Sensorvaerskerk mm. number one. There's also a Sensorvaerskerk number two. But it says here that 
during the years that the church, after the church had been confiscated by the French revolutionaries, it was used as a storing store space. So you know, whatever they whatever they needed space for. Because I was just thinking, compared with things like the Neuenhof and uh, which had you know living quarters and and practical spaces where obviously yeah. eventually it was home to orphans and things you could use it for a sort of yeah. more practical non-religious purposes big churches like that difficult spaces to repurpose yeah uh, this is true yeah this this is true and then, and they, they 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 haven't been you know and and as soon as soon as as church life uh, yeah saw a chance to to spring back it did and 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 of course primarily mm. in these places yeah because you know, like I said, you don't you don't change people's hearts and minds like no. that by by sheer force. And perhaps that helped. I don't know. Um, maybe it helped it it spring back in that way that it hadn't been reused for another practical purpose. Whereas some of the buildings we've spoken about never went back to being religious buildings really again. That that might also have been connected to, to as you pointed out, that uh, many of those uh, were part of, of convents yeah. that, that had been had been abolished. So orders that had, you know, been made yes. to disappear. And there and of course there have been great religious orders in enormous buildings but they are all new foundations or new imports from the 19th century. So the big, oh. the big teaching orders in Maastricht, they, they only, they only were founded in the 19th century, and they only oh. started building their huge buildings in the 19th century. And then, of, and then, of course, in the, in the 20th century, with, with increasing secularization, you know, people, people leaving the church in droves, yeah. and and mm. a drastic decrease of of the of the religious imprint of, of on society. It is still it is still these buildings that that carry a significance for people, even if they no longer consider themselves Catholics. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. With the revival of. Uh, religious uh, traditions and religion in Maastricht after the French administration. How did that affect Savas? Were the did the canons come back? Did what did was it very different? No, it it yeah it 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 became it became much more a city church. Okay. So no, the canons did not come back. There were there were parish priests appointed to. Mm-hmm. The parish of Sauvas, and um, yeah, they 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 try to uh, you know serve serve the people of the parish as best they could, and and for quite some time that was that was a very uh, that was that was difficult also because after all the messes of uh, the French uh, invading and annexing and then being defeated and being replaced by a new king from the north. Uh, mm. Protestants. Uh, everything in the city was divided in two: one half for the Protestants, one half for the Catholics. Yes. Which was ridiculous because, of course, ninety percent of the people were Catholic and ten percent were Protestant. But still, that's how St. John's became a Protestant church. And for decades into the nineteenth uh, century, it was forbidden to the Catholics to show their faith in public. So there was, uh, it was not allowed to have processions or uh, outdoor mass or, or yeah. any any manifestation of Catholic faith. 
once that was over, this is when this when this Catholic Renaissance, when this resurgence uh, uh, took place, and a lot of church building campaigns started. But also, of course, looking at what was already there, restoration campaigns. Mm -hmm. So late in the 19th century, the architect Kuipers from Wormond uh, started a very extensive uh, exploration of uh, the history of the church and restored it and that was that was the first big restoration and a century later in the in the 1980s the, the second big restoration took place and that gave the church uh, the look it has today but we'll talk about that in the second podcast yeah okay and so from I guess that resurgence and then into the 20th century mm. um, where I I feel, I personally probably feel like the city has become more and more secular. Mm -hmm. um, how has that changed since of us? Has that impacted since of us? Um, yeah, I suppose. But it is, it is still, um, it is uh, not like the other parish churches in the city in that it will draw the faithful from all over. Yeah. So the churchgoers that are still there will, even if they don't go to their own parish church anymore, they will, they will go to Savas. Yeah. And even, as I said, even people who aren't, well, they might exactly. be religious or not, they will come in to, as a tourist destination as well because it is a very impressive building filled with treasures and interesting history. So um, yeah. people will, yeah. will come and look. It is, a, it, is a, it is a very lively spot in the city. It is, it is not, yes. it is not a, a quiet, uh, uh, disconnected uh, yeah, time capsule. It is a, it is a living community. Yeah. Um, there, there, it has, it has uh, not as many priests as it used to have, but they mm. still serve the people. So yeah. they will, they will, uh, they will say mass, and they will administer the sacraments. They will visit their parishioners. They will uh, bring the sacrament of the sick and the dying to the people. Mm. And uh, there is a large lay community that that takes care of stuff, and that goes from ringing the bells, which is a job. I can assure yeah. you, <laughs> it needs it needs eight uh, grown strong men to yeah. move the big bell. I've seen videos of bell ringers and they <laughs> look like their arms are going to get yanked off sometimes. Um, no, <laughs> it, it takes a certain skill. Yeah, <laughs> it does. And there's there's loads of volunteers who will who will yeah. help with all kinds of activities. There there is a host of people cleaning the church and and you know shining the brass and lighting the candles and. Mm. So on and so forth. There is uh, 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 the present uh, um, deacon of Savas. Uh, deacon means he is sort of the central priest in the in 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 a deaconage. Okay. So he he is the he is the main priest in the city, and um, he is of the opinion that we shouldn't lose sight of the spiritual. You know, even if uh, we can't be convinced to be uh, faithful the way we were of old, that still we shouldn't we shouldn't scrap the church from our from our lives. So when the yearly fair takes place on the Vrijdag around Christmas, 
Yes. I mean, the whole origin of these fairs, and you can hear that in the Dutch word kermis, that used to be, of course, kerkmis. Yeah. It, was a fe- it was a festival connected to the church. Mm. Well, I mean, even in English, it's Christmas. It's Christ. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but, but as a name for a fair. Yes. Yes. Yeah, where you go, where you go ice skating and and eating uh, uh, <laughs> hot, hot, greasy stuff and mm. and things like that. But it's, you know, it, it, we tend to see that as a purely secular thing. Yes. And of course, it 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 was always you know commercial and secular and all the rest of it, but connected to the church. Yeah. And that connection sort of was lost. And then the present deacon said, yeah, well, okay, we have all these ice skaters and people out on the Vredhof Square. How about I open the church doors on the Vredhof site and and invite people in? Yeah, I noticed that when we went last year, that especially at night, it would have sort of an arch all lit up and a pathway into the church. It was very... We didn't end up going in, but... (laughs) I think we were there too late. It was shut, but we um it was it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. They, of course they can't do it this year, which is no. which is sad. But but I'm sure the present deacon will continue this tradition and it's worth it's worth going because the church will be all lit up and decorated mm. and there'll be there'll be a nativity scene and they had they had in the long hallways uh, adjoining the church they had uh, th- these hallways are jewels all by themselves <laughs> but they've but they've put they had put a few they put in showcases with a few hundred miniature nativity scenes oh wow and yeah and there was a there was a game for children where they could roam all over the church and find <laughs> find uh, clues and solve riddles and all of that and what <laughs> i saw i was one of the volunteers there and what i saw happen most of all droves and droves of people so many more than even the deacon hoped for coming <laughs> into the church and just gazing about them yeah. and then sitting down and becoming quiet, you know, to just sit there. And well, there's still something very almost sort of enigmatic or a bit, not scary, but a bit intimidating, I think, about churches, especially for people who haven't grown up going to churches or have grown up going to small parish churches um which are very more open and you just wander in but it can be quite intimidating especially with the big doors shut (laughs) so to go in and feel like you're allowed and you're being welcomed in and then to be able to sit quietly in awe (laughs) i think is really special as a part of the community because it is such a central structure in the city It's, it's which a lot of people a lot of expats especially might not have been in i mean if you're listening to this you can tell us whether you have ventured into the sense of us church or not and and also please do not wait for these uh, uh christmas carnival type things <laughs> to to take place uh i mean i think it is it is a terrible shame you have to uh, you have to pay admission to the church but then Politics in this country is not of a kind that funds its culture sufficiently. Yes. So they really have no choice. If, if you see their heating bills alone, yeah. that is just atrocious. But of course, you know, the main thing here 
is the church is always accessible as a church. So why not go to High Mass? Savas, as our sweet ladies, has a marvelous choir and it has a magnificent organ. And during High Mass on a Sunday, the choir will sing, the organ will be played, and there'll be all this pageantry of a, of a Catholic Mass. Yeah, you know, and you'll you'll know what's going on by the people around you. <laughs> you just you just follow with <laughs> you just follow whatever they do. Normally, there is uh, also the, the the moment when everybody shakes hands with everybody, wishing each other peace, which I think is is oh. a high point of mass. Yes, <laughs> maybe probably not at the not moment. Not <laughs> now, no, not now. But and and also uh, the church is not and now you have to because of Corona you have to reserve a slot so to speak or a seat wow. so okay. to speak because there is there is uh, a maximum of people who can go, but but in normal times the mass is accessible and the mass is of a of a beautiful pageantry yeah. full of significance and even if you do not get the significance. You can feel conviction and the sanctity in it, yeah. and you know. And if you live here, I mean, please, this is this is one of the deep roots of this city. This is how Maastricht mm. came to being. Yes, and I think churches are community spaces where people should feel welcome. And so, if you if you are so inclined and curious, I think definitely go and when it is safe to do so, or if you can book ahead or. Go and have a have a look and indulge. <laughs> yes, definitely, because this is this is the living culture. Also, you know, yes. this is this is what Maastricht does, or part of Maastricht, and and the entire city goes back to the bridge and the grave. And uh, I think it is I think it is nice to to have a sense of what that means uh, for us. Okay, I don't. Is there anything that you wanted to add? Um, Any little nuggets of? <laughs> I I think this this will do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I don't need to ask you what we're talking about next time because no. we will be continuing our discussion yep. of of Saints of Us, which I look forward to. I'm sure we'll there'll be lots of tie-ins with everything because obviously yeah. the people in the building are yeah. so heavily intertwined. But it would be really interesting to hear about the building. Um, mm -hmm. In the meantime, uh, people, if you are in the city and can safely do so, uh, you can always look at the outside of Sint Savas. You've probably looked at it a hundred times, but uh, you can look at it with new eyes. <laughs> yes. With, with a mask on, maybe, and <laughs> safely, <laughs> 1.5 metres away from everyone. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Meet Maastricht podcast. To keep up to date with all our content and events, make sure to follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram at at Meet Maastricht and on Facebook at Come Meet Maastricht. If you love our podcast and would like to see some amazing archival images as you listen, don't forget to subscribe to the Meet Maastricht YouTube channel. If you love what we do and would like to support the Meet Maastricht team, you can also donate through PayPal via our website meetmaastricht.eu. 
Meet Maastricht is definitely a labour of love and all of the revenue we make through our tours and events currently goes towards administration costs. With your help, we would love to be able to give back a little something to the team so we can all keep bringing you our favourite stories and showing you our favourite places in Maastricht. Thanks again and tune in next time to learn more about our beautiful city. Tot ziens.